You're listening to The Courage to Change, a recovery podcast. We are a community of recovering people who have overcome the odds and found the courage to change. Each week, we share stories of recovery from substance abuse, eating disorders, grief and loss, childhood trauma, and other life-changing experiences. Come join us no matter where you are on your recovery journey. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to the Courage to Change Recovery Podcast. My name is Ashley Lowe Blassingame, and I am your host. And today we have the Recovery Ready Workplace Series. We, some context around these episodes a little bit is we're wanting to create some episodes that are specific for whether they be managers or whoever might benefit from something like this, but to be able to say, okay, how do I look at what I've got going on right now and create an environment that is more supportive for the folks who are working with me who might be struggling with substance use disorder? So I have thoughts about that real quick. Please. So... It is my belief that people might feel that a recovery-ready workplace is super, super great for all those companies that have people with substance use disorder. However, their company, they don't know anybody who has substance use disorder. They don't know anybody who drinks too much or maybe they drink too much, but it's not alcoholism or how could they even hold down a job? What even are we talking about? And I have been running into a lot of people who truly do not believe that there is anyone at their company or that there are very few people at their company who struggle with any kind of over drinking or over medicating of any sort. And substance use disorder is the diagnostic term. But the reality is we're talking about people who drink too much and it's affecting their lives or it's affecting their relationships or work or maybe they you know, have pain and they're taking too much of the pain medication or find themselves addicted through no fault of their own. These are the types of scenarios that we're talking about, situations where people become dependent on something and they're overdoing it. And we all know somebody at a work event who does a little bit more than everybody else and manages to, you know, embarrass themselves every once in a while. Or that's what we're talking about. Those are the little tips of the iceberg that we all see. And many of the people who are struggling don't even have those. We don't even see any of those issues. They get everything on time. They're great employees and they're struggling. And I know that because I've been involved in one way or another in this field for over 20 years. And I have worked with CEOs, bankers, doctors, lawyers, and everything in between. And it's really important that we have recovery-friendly workplaces because there is so much of this going on that people aren't seeing. Yes, I think that's a really important distinction and helpful and leads exactly into the topic we have today because you just told me that I may or may not even know who it is on my team who is struggling in this way. With that being the case, how do I create a recovery-friendly workplace? Like, How do I create a place where people who are potentially struggling in this way. How do I do that if I don't even know who to target it at or what to do? Like, what am I supposed to do? So a couple things. Number one, I want you to think of this diagnosis that we're using called substance use disorder. It's a diagnosis, right? So let's think of this like four stages of cancer. If you have stage four alcoholism, your body's falling apart. Maybe you live on the streets. 
you have very few resources, you are isolated, you are towards the end stages of being able to survive with alcoholism. Maybe you're homeless. Stage four, close to death. Stage three, alcoholism, very large consequences, maybe arrests, maybe DUIs, divorces, losses of jobs. These are the things that we see that that are much more obvious to us. And stage three is really where a lot of people are able to identify the alcoholism. They cannot hide it. Stage two, stage two is tip of the iceberg alcoholism. Stage two is there's some consequences here and there, maybe their relationship consequences. But again, it's easy to attribute them to other things at this stage. It's easy to say, oh, well, that's because that person, I get in a fight because that person always does X, Y, Z, right? It's easy to call what is truly a result of alcohol and drinking or substance use something other than that, right? We're still making excuses or trying to explain away these outcomes. Stage one is where it starts to pick up, but it's pretty undetectable. It's still very treatable. It's in the early stages and it would just look like drinking too much here and there. It would definitely be able to camouflage as normal drinking, but there are little things here and there that would signal to the trained eye that there is a a budding problem. Okay, so we have the four stages of alcoholism. Now, having a recovery-friendly workplace is important because you will likely have stage one to three. You're probably not going to have a ton of stage three alcoholics. They're going to have trouble holding jobs. It's going to be much more obvious. They probably won't last that long. That's what most of us think of when we think of the alcoholic. And I'm using the alcoholic to encompass all substances. We think of stage three and four. Having a recovery-friendly workplace needs to apply to stage one and two as well. And that is the part that I really struggle to get across to people. And I think this is where we can be helpful. So some of the reasons that I hear people say they don't want to even attempt to reduce or eliminate their drinking is because their job revolves so much around them drinking alcohol and and that it would look funny. So a recovery-friendly workplace is a place where someone could cut back or quit drinking and it wouldn't have a huge impact on their ability to be at events, to be in the workplace, or to maintain their abstinence. So what that might look like is fewer events that revolve around drinking alcohol. So for example, everybody going out to cocktails, everybody's talking about cocktails, the only non-alcoholic drink is a water, there's a bar where it's very obvious who's drinking what. Sometimes bars will put non-alcoholic drinks in very distinguishable cups, these type of things. We want to create a place where you can camouflage. No one has to know what it is you're drinking or not drinking. I do like the thought of being able to create an environment where people can make changes and not have it have to be like so out loud. I understand that people wouldn't necessarily want to do that because it is declaring something like what follows are all the questions like, oh, not drinking today? Why aren't you drinking today? I might just say, you know what? Forget it because it would be better for me to not feel this uncomfortable at work. Well, I'll just deal with it because it's way more embarrassing the other way. And people quite literally will say that to me. They'll say, I cannot stop drinking because it would affect 
how people see me at work. It would be a really big departure from my behavior. Having these workplaces that don't require them to out themselves immediately if they want to make a change is important. And honestly, it's important because people in stage one and two can talk themselves out of trying to change the behavior because the consequences aren't that big yet. And so a lot of them don't get help if there are these barriers because they don't think it's that bad yet and they're not willing to suffer any type of embarrassment until it is that bad. So we're helping people by changing these cultures. We're allowing these people to get help earlier and allowing them to assimilate into the environment while they get comfortable with this change in their life and not having to announce it to everybody. When I'm hearing tangible examples, one might be a way of people in a in a culture where there's drinking at work, things like that, that people can do it in a way that's a little more incognito, that there's options for them to have a drink that looks like another kind of drink, things like that. But like, what are some more tangible kinds of things that I can actually be doing to change the environment? So it does feel like it's more recovery ready in that way. So I have a couple of go-tos that I suggest for on the employer side for managers. One is lunch and learns. Put together a lunch. Everybody loves a free lunch. And have a speaker who's in recovery, who has some sort of background in something they can talk about that's helpful, that's useful, and have them come talk about their story, how they got help, what were some of the things that they experienced working in corporate America, or some form of conversation where your employees know that you intentionally hired someone in recovery and you hired them to come talk to them about their journey. What that says is we approve of recovery. We want to be a part of the conversation around recovery. We're putting resources behind the conversation. It also allows people to listen and see if they relate to any of the conversations or any of the things that are going on and explore options that maybe the the company provides, various benefits, ways of getting help. It opens up the conversation. And the first conversation that typically that it actually comes out will typically be with people who are struggling with a loved one who's going through this. But I encourage you not to discount people who are dealing with a loved one who's struggling with substance use disorder because their work performance will absolutely suffer as a result of the stress and emotional tornado of a loved one struggling and having these resources is helpful for them as well. So that's another tangible one. In any event that you throw, there needs to be some sort of focal point that isn't the food and beverage, right? So the focal point could be a speaker. The focal point could be games. You know, it could be some sort of thing that you can do that isn't focused on what are we going to eat and what are we going to drink? When you have that, people who don't drink can assimilate much better. Also, having drinks that people who don't drink actually want to drink, like mocktails or non-alcoholic beverages or, you know, sodas or whatever it is. I I can't tell you how many times I've been to something and the only non-alcoholic beverage is water in a bottle. And and so I'm, you know, I mean, thank God I don't care. But I mean, you're I'm walking around with a water bottle. Then I have to field those questions you talked about. Mm-hmm. Can I go back to a couple things that you just yes, said? Please. The first one is how do you create an event like that, a lunch and learn? 
Because my experience typically is those are like optional. There's a free lunch to get you there or whatever. But is there some element of by attending, I am saying something about myself? You know what I mean? Like, are there any things that you could do so that you make that event appealing or that in attending, I am not I am not worried about outing myself in some way? That is a great question. So there is, of course, the obvious answer, which I think is a great one, is making it mandatory for everybody to come. Additional pieces that might help making it a really good lunch, (laughs) you know, like people having really great, you know, we're going to have catered from this fantastic restaurant or whatever it is, maybe having two speakers, one that is about this topic, and then there's something else in there so that you sort of camouflage if someone wants to come and listen, putting it in the context of, you know, this person is going to come and share their journey, but they're also going to talk about how people could be helpful to someone else. People are always willing to go listen to a talk on how they can help someone else with their problem, right? And so you can often get a ton of people in the door by telling them this person is going to give you the answer to how to manage your child, your spouse, your whatever it is. So those are some really good ways. I love that. Now, the second thing that you mentioned, it was like, I think it's something that's maybe commonplace for you, but I don't know that it would make sense to every person as far as what that truly means. You talked about having events that don't necessarily revolve around food and drink. Like, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like? There are a lot of events where if you're not drinking or eating the food is not part of your lifestyle, then it is extremely difficult to be in that situation. Inclusivity requires people to think about what it would feel like if you didn't consume any of the food or any of the beverages. What would that feel like? Could you still go? Could you still sit at the table? Would it be weird if you sat at the table? Like, what could you do instead? Would it be pointless to join the event if you didn't consume those things? A kid's birthday party is a really great way to think about it, right? You're not going to throw a lunch for kids, right? Are you going to have lunch? Yes, you're going to have lunch, right? But they don't want to walk away like, yeah, I just had pizza. I basically went to a restaurant. So you have an event. It's bowling. It's at a park. It's blah, blah, blah. Like it's something that people can do together to get to know each other that doesn't revolve this substance that is there to break down barriers. Instead, we break down barriers with the activities. So that piece is really, really important. And it's a whole different way of thinking about how to put on the event. I love that. Well, now let's say that we have somebody at an event or there's some other opportunity. What are some other ways that we can signal to people that our workplace is recovery friendly? Like, are there things that we can say? Are there things that we should explain? Are there things that we should touch on that speaks more broadly that we're the kind of workplace that's recovery friendly? Give you a quick example. At Salesforce, there is a, an employee interest group called Soberforce, started by a woman named Mara Nelson, who is in recovery herself. And she was in a management position and felt that it was important to come out and, and have this employee group. And now it has taken on a life of its own and it's called Soberforce. And she's no longer with the company, but the company, you know, this is still an employee run group and it's got a lot of members and so on and so forth. The fact that Salesforce supports that and 
fuels that and and gives that any attention and 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 frankly allows it to be a a full on thing of its own gives us information about the values of salesforce when i see that as someone who's in recovery i know that at some level salesforce is behind this cause. Maybe not perfectly, but that's signaling to me. So that's one way where I'm picking up these these signals. Frankly, a big signal, and I know this is can, sounds convenient for me to say, so I'm just going to say that right up front, but this is the God's honest truth, frankly, is if they have the benefits for people who need the help. I know that you're friendly of recovery or anything, right? You're, you're parent friendly if you have great parental leave. If you have great parental benefits, you're, you're health friendly. If you have great health benefits, you care about your employees. So recovery friendly is going to include things I might need in my recovery, whether that's substance use disorder benefits, mental health therapy, and not just the eight sessions a year. You know, there's little things that I teach managers and I'll, I'll give you a couple examples and there's a ton of these, but you know, here's an example. The way you set up the bar at an event can be the difference between someone having to out themselves based on what drink they order and not. There are ways to set up a bar so that people are in a line and the lines almost like at the pharmacy, right? And the line kind of starts further back. You have some sort of barrier or some sort of way where I do not have to announce my order with all the people surrounding the bar and the bartender yelling back to me my order that I'm not going to have alcohol in my glass. Instead, what happens is you have no idea what I ordered. I have this beautiful glass that looks like your glass and I walk away and we don't have to ever talk about it because no one's going to say, hey, what is in your glass? There are certain ways to set things up where you have a little bit of privacy around what it is that you're doing. Maybe you do a health challenge. You have a a juice cleanse or you have a health, the, the work as a health challenge, a step challenge, and people can say, oh, I'm part of this, so I'm not drinking right now. There are little things that people can do that make a big difference in terms of people feeling like they can camouflage. There are places where companies can really show that they're thinking about the intricacies of inclusion. And frankly, they don't even need to think of them. They can you know, reach out to someone like myself or other people and say, what are some of the things? What are some of the obstacles and how can we help? Yeah, my hope is that this is helpful for folks who are in this position where they're in charge of setting the environment and what feels accessible and what feels like group norms and things like that. If you were to say one last thing to managers or even just people who hold power or influence in an organization about how to create an environment that is recovery friendly, what's one last thing you might want to add? If you have people who are openly in recovery and willing to be celebrated amongst your ranks, particularly in management, and you as a company, for example, wish them a happy sobriety anniversary on their anniversary publicly, if they're willing, or you put something out on LinkedIn about it, or it's in your newsletter, or some sort of public acknowledgement or some sort of conversation around mental health or things of this nature. That is really signaling to people that you care. But again, it's signaling inclusivity. True inclusivity requires you to 
create spaces for these people, not just the signal. In order to create spaces for people who have a certain medical condition, you have to have the medical benefits that come along with it. You have to have the resources and create space for people to get real help, not surface level help. And if you do these things and acknowledge that you have people in stage one and two, maybe a few in stage three, and that you're going to be able to help people in stage one and two get help sooner by just being inclusive and friendly and trying to reduce the stigma and shame around these issues. Forget being a good person. You will also save the company a ton of money in other medical expenditures that that person will absolutely accrue over time. Work productivity, absenteeism. There are so many benefits to having a healthy, sober person in your workforce and signaling, but also the true inclusivity are where you can make the biggest difference. So I know I just threw a ton of stuff at you. And if you have specific questions around your workforce or any clarification or just reiteration that you'd like, feel free to reach out to me. My email is ashley at lionrockrecovery.com. A-S-H-L-E-Y at lionrockrecovery.com. Feel free to reach out to me. I am happy to help. I want to promote inclusive workspaces and help companies to join me in my mission to reduce stigma. Thank you so much for listening to the Recovery Ready Workplace series. I'll see you next time. This podcast is sponsored by lionrock.life. Lionrock.life is a diverse and supportive recovery community offering weekly over 70 online peer support meetings, useful recovery information, and entertaining content. Whether you're newly sober, have many years in recovery, or you're recovering from something other than drugs and alcohol, we have space for you. Visit www.lionrock.life today and enter promo code COURAGE for one month of unlimited peer support meetings free. Find the joy in recovery at lionrock.life.